Welcome. If you were looking for the uh, Praying for Prodigals seminar, you're in the right place. And uh, we're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, I'm James Banks, and uh, I'm the pastor of uh, Peace EPC, pastor and uh, planter of Peace EPC in Durham, North Carolina. And uh, we are a church that would not be there if not for the power of God to answer prayer. And uh, uh, we have seen that ag again and again. Um, so before we do anything else, let's pray. Father, we praise you for the chance to, to be together in your word. Lord Jesus, you have accomplished everything for us. And we praise you that you are able to do immeasurably more. And we ask in this time that you would anoint us with your spirit, speak to us as you alone can. Every wisdom from you alone, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I need a volunteer during the videos. There are, there's a light switch in the back to hit. There are two different videos. Going to need someone to get up twice. Um, do we have a volunteer? Would you do that? Right there. I'm on it. All right. And you just got a free copy of Praying the Prayers of the Bible for Your Everyday Needs. <laughs> and does anyone, okay, who has the newest child or grandchild? I'm sure I do. Oh, my goodness. Six weeks. Six weeks. Oh. Well, but you already have one. <laughs> okay. So, all right. Who has a four-year-old? Who has a four? Oh, okay. We see. Uh, I think. Well, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I think she right behind you was just a moment beforehand. So this is uh, praying the prayers of the Bible for kids. And uh, that uh, is a book I worked on with uh, Cindy Kenny, who's a VeggieTale author. She was my editor on it, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, but it's an illustrated book taking simple scripture prayers and then putting the concept into verse so that kids, and we're in a great room for that, actually, uh, you know, can, um, can just learn how to pray with their parents, with their grandparents, you cannot start that too young. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you one of my cards. Do you ever listen to audiobooks? Yes. Okay. Prayers for Prodigals just came out on audiobook, and you just got a free copy. So <laughs> I like to uh, start like that. And uh, um, again, uh, grateful that that you're all here um, you know this morning I was reading uh, in in Psalm 136 I, you know how it says over and over his love endures forever his love endures forever <laughs> you know? I, at first when I was reading that I thought well isn't that interesting what people tend to say about some contemporary music well it's so repetitive <laughs> His love endures forever. <laughs> and then, you know, holy, 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 it's right out of Scripture. So when you love someone, 
you find yourself saying the same things sometimes over and over again and likewise sometimes praying the same prayers over and over again and if you're the parent of a prodigal you know well what that's like um, I, I thought I'd start today with some pictures that tell a story these are uh, pictures from some good days um, this is uh, my son Jeff and by the way full disclosure my wife Carrie is right back there helping out <laughs> fortunately uh, my kids get their good looks from their mother um, these are uh, this is one of my favorites that's our son and our daughter and it just it's kind of a snapshot of both their personalities and by the way what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be going for 45 minutes taking a brief break and then we'll go again so we're going to give you a chance to we're not going to just you know drill for the whole two hours <laughs> but these were good days oh such good days <laughs> and then the shadows came when everything was out of focus everything was messed up And even smiles were sad. Um, and then the good days came again. This is our family today. My son was a heroin addict. He was addicted for seven years to opiates in one form or another. Um, he was in and out of rehab 11 times that we can count. He was not raised that way. He was raised in a pastor's home where we prayed for him before he was born. We held him in our arms and gave him to the Lord <laughs> before we left the hospital. He's now said goodbye to the dark side. <laughs> and like the old guy in the parable, I got my son back. And we have been blessed. And we are so grateful for what God has done. But we have been on a long and sometimes very dark road together. I mentioned Jeff was addicted to synthetic opiates, then to heroin. It was a hard road. There are stories that we cannot tell simply because we love our son and it got that bad. The prognosis wasn't good. We'd hear things like, oh, when he starts that young, he won't make it. And there's so much to say but but probably the best place to start and here's where the light switch comes in <laughs> is uh, with a brief video where Jeff and I tell some more this is Jeff today see the difference see the difference that is the difference that Jesus alone makes 
let's go ahead and hit the lights. In this, um, we'll share um, both Jeff and, and I back and forth, we'll share part of our story. This is part one. Nobody holds their child in their arms for the first time and says, this is going to happen. <laughs> you know, it, this is something you never see coming. Everything else became a side note, I guess, like school, sports, it all just kind of, you know, took a backseat until I could find, you know, what I need to find to, to feel better. I remember like really when my love affair with Opia started. This girl that I knew, sure, her mom had passed away. She had died of cancer and she had all these pain pills, all these opiate pills, pain medications that she had, um, that she had left behind. And, she didn't know what to do with them, and I was like, give them to me. And she was like, all right, you can have them. You know, this was a time when synthetic opiates were just out there. They were uh, increasingly available. You began to slowly fall into that. I knew, like, immediately, like, I was like, man, I like the way this makes me feel. Whenever that supply of, of pills ran out that she had given me, it was immediately like, where can I get more? And, um, how could I find more and what else is similar? And it really became a nightmare, not just for me, but, but for my parents as well, because at this point I'm running into legal trouble. But that's whenever everything started to really crash, but I still didn't realize it. At that time, we kind of witnessed the disappearance of our son in the sense of the, the boy we had raised, you know, the kid who was so outgoing, whom we loved so much, it was, he, he was gone somewhere. My using it just continued to progress and progress. That was kind of whenever I got introduced to heroin. I was dating this girl at the time, and um, whenever I ran out of pills and I was sick, you know, I was withdrawing, that was just kind of the natural thing to do. She was like, well, why don't you just, you know, do some of this? As soon as it hit me, it was just like that. You know? um, like, honestly, I know it sounds weird, but I knew, like, what I wanted to do. Opiates have been great, but, like, Heroin was where it was at. The phone rings in the middle of the night and you think the worst. You just feel like things are unraveling at the seams and you're, you're, you're trying to, to hold everything together. You're trying to think the, the best of your son when it, it seems like everything's falling apart. My parents have been there for me through all of this. Like, not enabling me, like, financially, but being there for me, like, Emotionally, even though they didn't approve of what I was doing, they're always there for me. In that rehab, and you know, in and out of this relationship and that relationship, and every time I got out, I would just end up going back, you know, to heroin. The thought of not being able to get high was like the thought of like not breathing, you know, essentially, like that was just, you know, two of us. You hear people say things like, "Well, you know, they, they've got to hit rock bottom." But the truth is, rock bottom for a heroin addict is dead. Yes, you have to have boundaries and you have to have discretion in, in setting all of those things. But at the same time, you have to keep the lines of communication open. You have to be able to stay in their lives because when everything falls apart, as things inevitably will, who's going to be there? During one of my kind of like sober period, I started dating this girl, and while we were dating, I relapsed. 
I remember one morning waking up really early and taking her car and taking her wallet and going and getting a bunch of cash out. I'd gone to the dope man's house that I had always gone to. You know, I got my dope and I pulled off on the side of the road. I was so sick that like I couldn't wait till I got home to get high. So I wanted to do it then. And I, you know, did it right there on the side of the road. And I remember pulling off with literally with the needle still in my arm. And I remember just passing out at the wheel. And I remember waking up in that hospital and like just being like, what did I do? You know, and just really being like ashamed of myself to a point. My family supported me every time I wanted to get better. Like they were never like, dude, we're done with you. I feel like you see that a lot um, with, with addicts where their family like totally abandons them. Like for me, if that would have happened, I just would have been hopeless. So I went, you know, back to treatment. And I guess like the million dollar question is like, <laughs> is what made that? you know, the last one. I'll show part two in a few minutes, but today uh, Jeff is in ministry with the goal of helping others avoid the mistakes he made. He is actually the senior high youth pastor at Port City Church in Wilmington. He has more kids in his youth group several times over than I have in our entire church. <laughs> and it's all because of what God did for him. I once asked him if it was okay if we talked about how bad things were. He said, Dad, I, I want you to tell it. I prefer that you tell it. Why else would God have done it? And actually next month, uh, July 15th, we are under contract. Uh, we are finishing up a book together that tells a split screen of what happened uh, chapter by chapter. Uh, I tell part, he tells his part. So that gives, uh, and that'll be out, uh, I believe, next year, uh, spring of next year with Discovery House Publishers. And the title so far is Hope Lies Ahead. Hope Lies Ahead. But, um, you know, everyone's struggle is unique. And I don't want to talk about this today as someone who has all the answers or, or some formula to follow. Our goal today is simply to point to the hope that God can give. And because His mercies are new every morning, they are fresh for each one of us, regardless of what our struggle may be. And I can tell you honestly that what God did in my son's life was so remarkable. I mean, I think of, of some of the diagnoses we had of his mental state when he was, you know, in, in the midst of addiction. He, he is on no prescription medications today, and he has a lot of responsibility. He's been clean over six years. And praise God. Father, we thank you for what you alone can do, and our prayer today is do it again. There is so much hope. And what matters most is getting to Jesus. You know, if, if we can just get to the throne of grace, He will help us. Just a moment with Him, regardless of what is happening in your circumstances, 
Just being with him matters so much. He has ways of getting us through even the roughest times. I made really different choices from Jeff growing up. And I had one solution to his problem. Don't do that. <laughs> Quit. That's stupid. I preached some hard sermons that were legalistic and, and I judged and condemned him and, and often drove him away. And that made him feel like, oh, so that's what Christians are. You, you fall into this place where you're so focused on, on fixing the problem, right? Don't do this, don't do that, that, that your relationship suffers. This is one of the things that we found looking back now as we're writing the book together. And what an incredible blessing that is, man. I mean, to be able to walk back through those times and talk about them. But this is one of the things that, that I see so clearly. Our relationship suffered. There were times where I was just, you know, I want my kid to quit doing drugs so much. And I'm an intense personality by nature. It's just, you know, this, we're going to fix this. This is going to change. You know, and, and type A dad is going to find the way, whatever that way may be. And instead, if I had just been with my son sometimes, just, just and, and, and don't get me wrong, there, there, there were good days. Um, Carrie and I had this saying when we made it through 24 hours and there wasn't any drama. And that was, today was a good day. It became code for that. Uh, but the beautiful thing uh, about Jesus is that he meets us in the middle of our mess. Wherever that may be. And there's a great messy picture of, of what this looks like. Let's go ahead and, and read it together. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Four men arrived, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. There's, there's one, one sentence that I'd like you to zero in on. And here it is in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith. You know, we really don't know if Mark is saying anything about the faith of the man who was healed. He might have been passive in the situation. He may not have had faith at all. He just thought, well, what have I got to lose? But we know that Jesus saw the faith of the friends who brought him to him on a stretcher. And he healed him because of that. And, and that's huge for those of us who are praying for prodigals. You know, when, when we pray for our loved ones, it's like carrying them on stretchers of faith to Jesus. That's, that's the best analogy I can think of because sometimes, honestly, we've got nothing left, right? And, and all you can do is just go to Jesus. And, and I can tell you that what he did in my son's life was so immeasurably more than, than I could ask or imagine. But it took 
seven years. And, and God is, is still at work. I, I, I don't use words like, like amazing lightly when, when I talk about it because I thought that maybe someday you know, when I was in my 80s, I might see, you know, Jeff begin to turn around. But to see this, this full turning and, and the sincerity, and let me tell you, he has been through some very challenging times since he's been clean. I mean, things that normally, you know, could, could cause a person to go into relapse. His wife walked out on him after a year of marriage. And shortly thereafter, he had an injury, and he had to rely on some of the same prescription meds that he had once abused. But praise God, he brought him through all of this. And there's a fiesta because of it. <laughs> That's all right. Don't worry about it. I can't wait. Vamos a empezar. Carrie is Cuban. Jeff is Cuban. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, you know, parents of prodigals struggle to have faith because we know what it's like to have our children curse us to our faces, to steal from us, to steal from others, to wreck cars, to come home drunk, to come home high. We know what it's like to struggle with our kids, sometimes even physically, to find needles in our home. We know what it's like to have a child run away. We know what it's like to sit in the courtroom and to pray and weep, just praying that God, the, the judge will have mercy. We know what it's like to think the worst thoughts when the phone rings in the middle of the night to worry while someone you love is in jail and, and what is going to be happening while they're there, to go through the pain of having to visit him there and talk to him through that thick plexiglass and to wonder how you ever got there. We, we know what it's like to have things happen to a daughter that should not have happened had she made the right choices, had she walked with Jesus. You know, we know what it's like to come to events like this and wonder if everything's going to be okay when you get back. We know what it's like to drug test our son, to tell him that it's time for him to leave this afternoon. We know what it's like to have tension in our marriage because of our kids, to spend thousands of dollars on attorneys and countless hours helping our children through rehab. But you know what the truth is? The truth is that none of that is bigger than Jesus. And that brings us to the second takeaway. The first, again, when Jesus saw their faith. Here's the second. We need to love our prodigals regardless of what is going on in their lives. Because, uh, I'm sorry, this was the first point that I wanted to make. <laughs> because that's how they get to Jesus. You know, that, that guy on the stretcher was loved and he was cared for, wasn't he? And, and one of the best ways that we can love our prodigals 
is with our prayers. And I think that this is an area where we as a church are increasingly learning. My doctorate is in church history in the area of revival and reform, specifically in the area of united prayer in revival and reform. And one of the things that was so good about doing that study was it, it gave me the opportunity to see how the Spirit had moved in united prayer powerfully before revivals in a people. And we're due. We're due. Actually, you know, the, I mean, the, probably the closest things, you know, you look at, at some of the Billy Graham crusades and things that happened as a result. You look at something that happened in the 70s with the Holy Spirit moving. Even that, 50 years ago, we're due. And, and we don't realize as a church how vital and how potent our prayers can be. Read the Revelation. Take a look at what happens right at the end of days. Do you know what's mixed with the incense and, and, and is thrown to earth at the end of days? It's the prayers of the saints. That's how it starts. And we need to recapture that with fire and passion. And I know when you're praying for a prodigal, it can be, it can be so, so discouraging. And that's why we have to be honest and, and have candor with each other and love each other and, and pray together. We saw some specific answers to prayers. We walked through Jeff's situation. We prayed for a faith-based recovery home that we could afford, uh, and God led us to one in a place called Christian Recovery House in Wilmington, North Carolina. When things got difficult there, we prayed for a friend who would be a solid influence on Jeff's faith, and God did that. But he did so much more. And that brings us to the second part. I'm trying to catch up with my... <laughs> so again, one of the best ways we can love someone is to pray for them. Do you, do you believe that? Because when you pray for someone, you are loving them with the strength that God alone can give. You are loving them through His Spirit. You're bringing them to the throne of grace. You know, one of the, th the horrible things you hear in our culture today is, oh, well, you're sending thoughts and prayers. You know? And it, <laughs> I mean, it's immediately criticized, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, and, and it's, it's negated. Tell that to Elijah, right? <laughs> I mean, tell that to the people of God. Tell that to the church in, in Acts 1.14. And, and we'll talk about this in the next seminar on praying the prayers of the Bible. But, you know, to get to Acts 2, you have to get through Acts 1. And in Acts 1.14, you know what you have? They all join together constantly in prayer. This is our birthright as a church. This is how we lead and, and serve the church. There's so much here. This is more of Jeff's story. We got get the to lights the end again. Of resources. We got to the end of Thanks. Work. 
you know, we could humanly speaking make happen. And we went to uh, CRH in London, and Jeff was just about to go in and get the first intergovern meeting. And, and as we were leaving, one of the first things he said was, I'm not going to Jesus camp. You know, Dad was a pastor growing up, and I knew I didn't want anything to do with the whole, you know, weird Jesus stuff. But I didn't have any other option, so I agreed and moved to Wilmington and went to Christian Recovery House. What happened there wasn't that, uh, you know, Jeff got religion, per se. It was that people loved him. People loved him with this unconditional love that didn't come from them necessarily, and he got that. I actually got brought into a into a, a community of people who had hope and who were moving forward, and um, and something was different about them. And I really think the different thing about them and the thing that ended up being different for me was identity. Something that I'd always struggled with was was you know, identifying myself as an addict or an alcoholic, and I knew that I didn't have to do that anymore. Like, the stuff that I had done was not who I was. It wasn't just like a geographical change, or like moving here, moving there, or, or a relationship change. It was a heart change. It stopped being like this life-consuming thing, like this life-consuming idea that like, well, you're an addict, and you're always an addict, and you're just gonna have to kind of work through it. Like, it wasn't that anymore. It was, no, dude, that's not, like, that's not who you are. Um, your identity is not found in that. And you're, you're actually a, a new person. Like, you're a new creation. You're not the person that, that you were before um, you found Jesus. And that was really the big thing with Christ. It changed me at my core, you know, of, of who I was and what I thought about myself and what I thought I could do, like, what I thought I could accomplish. It changed everything for me. For me, this is where the miracle lies because that was the first time that I can remember like in my life, like in my entire life of not like, not like wanting, like if that makes sense, like not wanting to, you know, um, to find my identity here or there in this, you know, this group or that group or be the popular kid or make your grades or, you know, be the good looking kid. Like I finally, I wasn't looking for that anymore. I didn't care about that anymore. That was satisfied. And, and not wanting to use. I knew that I did not want to get high anymore. It, like, it wasn't even a temptation, and it still isn't today, and that was like, that was where the miracle lied for me, is that I didn't, like it wasn't like this white knuckle thing, or like this, like, um, man, I hope I can avoid getting high today, or I, or I hope I can overcome this temptation, but like, it was no longer a, a temptation, like it was defeated, and that was, that was where the miracle lie for me is that like for the first time like because my identity changed like my life had changed it wasn't anything that i could do you know and that changed everything where it's like dude stop trying because you can't change like who you are like you can't change the person that you were born as or um, or the person that you've become over time or the actions that you've done you can't change that stuff but christ can and that that was the crazy thing for me is that Christ did. There's still relationships and wrongs that I've done that I that I work on to this very day, you know, but I'm able to do that stuff because of the new identity that was given to me. I mean it's one thing people talk about, you know, tough love. Uh, but that love has to be tough on ourselves as well. It's like I'm gonna go the distance, this is a marathon and I'm sprint. So I'm gonna push myself to stay in his life. I'm gonna push myself, you know, to keep loving him.
and, and let them know. You know, you might say you hate me right now, uh, but I'm always going to love you. You know, I'm, I'm your dad. Um, you know, I'm not going to write you off. Even though who I see right now isn't you, you're you're in there somewhere. For us, that love is a lot about the, the love that God has had for us. You know what I mean? Um, and, and just being able to kind of give back with with a love that says um, you're messing up right now, but um, you're precious to me, and, and because you are, I'm not going to quit. I didn't get high this morning because it's like I don't have to because the person who I am today, you know, doesn't get high. The person who I am today essentially has never done drugs um, because I'm not the person who I was. You know, Jeff is a youth pastor today in the same city where he once abused and sold heroin. The, the change has been that remarkable. What we want more than anything else is what only God can do. And as we get with Him, living in His presence, keeping company with Him in everything, He helps us sort it out. I, I, love, I love what J. Sidlow Baxter said in, in regard to this. Our loved ones may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. And that's the third and, and final takeaway as we look at the guy on a stretcher. A person on a stretcher is going somewhere, whether they know it or not. <laughs> so, so as we pray for our prodigals and, and bring them on stretchers of prayer, stretchers of faith to Jesus, we, we need to pray with faith. Now, that's challenging because so often it seems like nothing is happening, right? But God is always doing something. God can see farther than we can, and, and He can help us see the end of things. He can help you see your child not as she is right now, but as she will be with, with His love shining through her eyes. And that is a great way to pray, by the way. As you pray for your child, don't just see them as they are in their mess right now, but see them through the eyes of faith. See them with the love and light of Christ in them, saving their souls, cleansing them through His blood and through His Spirit. See that and pray that by faith. You don't even have to use words. You just take the whole thing and just lift it to Him. This is why Jesus came. I love what Jeff says about identity. Because he, he got it. He got it. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. 
The old is gone, the new has come. Do we know what that means, church? Do we really get that? Because so often, basically, you know, you heard what he said about, well, you're an addict, you're always going to be an addict. Really? Is that at the core of his identity? Is that what we believe? Or do we believe if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Which of those is the word of God? I ask you, church. Now, that person may have besetting sins that they struggle with for a while. But God is greater. You know, you may find yourself going down a road you never would have chosen. You would have taken anything but this. And, and one of the amazing things is that God can bring us into breathtaking places precisely because of where we've been. You know, you're on this dark and shadowy path and you wonder where does it lead? Will we ever get to the end of this? And then you come out into this place that you realize God alone created this sunrise. And I would not have seen it unless I had gotten through this way. Jeff is a better man today because of the mistakes he's made. Do I wish he had, had made other choices? Absolutely. But he has a love for others who are in difficult places because he's been there himself. And the beautiful thing about God is that he wastes nothing. He can take precisely those moments where we're thinking nothing good will ever come of this and turn it around for good. You know, there, there's one verse in the parable of the prodigal son that, that I can't get away from. Here it is, Luke 15, 20. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. You know the words that get me there? The very beginning, the very first part. While he was still a long way off. And by the way, if you're taking uh, pictures for the slides and you needed to get that one, go ahead. Uh, there's number three. I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time with my clicker today. Um, go ahead and look at these words again. I'd ask you, how far is too far for God to reach? How far gone is too far gone for him to save? Jesus is not only telling the parable of the prodigal son. He's in it. Right? Who is he in the story? He's the running father. He is God incarnate. He is the one who, who came to us out of the majesty of heaven, right? <laughs> While we were still a long way off. <laughs> He's the one who is looking for us, 
longing for us, waiting for us. He's the one who is filled with compassion. Jesus is God throwing his arms wide open to us at the cross and welcoming us home no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been. The phrase Luke uses, filled with compassion, that's another good one, you know. It, uh, it's, a, it's actually an, an anatomical reference. It, it means he feels it right here. He, he feels it in his gut. And that's the beautiful thing. Think about who Jesus hung out with, right? I mean, think about, I, I've, I've, I've learned so much uh, in, in watching my son because, you know, I mean, I, I was a pretty straight-laced guy coming up and, and I, I didn't realize how much legalism I actually had. And, and I can see Jeff get close to people that I couldn't even begin to approach because they just look at him and they know and they look at me and it's like, you know. <laughs> um, but that's the beautiful work of the Spirit. We're going to take a little break in a moment. And by the way, after the second time uh, that, that I talk, we're going to have, um, we're going to have a, a, a prayer time together. It'll, it'll be brief, but a, a worship-based prayer time because it is really important that, that we pray together. Um, but... I want to read a prayer from Prayers for Prodigals to you. Uh, and I, I share this with you because, again, years passed before it was answered. We, the, the prayers in this book, when they were written, were unanswered prayers for our son. And that's really important, really important to know. But... Um, God did it in his own time. God did it regardless of, of our lack of faith. You know, sometimes you can feel that way. If only I had more faith, but it's just, I, this, this has been so hard. We've been through so much. It's like, you know, he, he's, he's stuck on stupid in the same place over and over again. And will we ever get beyond this? I guess not. This is the new normal. This is where we live. This is where we, he will be for the rest of his life. And the beautiful thing is that, you know, God broke through all of that. All of that. So this is day 10. Bring the boy to me. O oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me, Mark 9, 19. Here he is, Lord. This is my son, and he needs you desperately. I bring him to you, all that he is and all that is going on in his life. His life is beyond my power to repair or set right. I ask you to touch him and help him, Lord. Before we go on, let's... This is a prayer, so could we, Father, please just help us um, to pray as, as we listen. Years ago, when you told the disciples, bring the boy to me, you began the greatest blessing of the child's life. Darkness had to flee. It could not stand in your presence. So I bring my son into the light of your presence again today. Psalm eighty nine fifteen. 
I'm reminded of what you told your disciples. The child could only be set free by prayer. Mark 9.29 The disciples had tried everything they could think of, but no matter how hard they tried in their own strength, they could not make any difference. Mark 9.18 You rebuked them for their lack of faith. Then you said, everything is possible for him who believes. I'm beginning to understand how much I need to bring my son to you in faithful, believing prayer. He needs the difference only you can make for him. How wonderful that father must have felt when he walked away with his son, happy and healthy and standing strong. He had brought his son to you and you freed the boy. Lord Jesus, I look forward to that day in my own son's life as well. The day he meets you and is transformed by your love, rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son. Colossians 1.13 What a day that will be. There will be rejoicing in heaven, Luke 15.7. And if I'm still here, do you hear that? Do you hear that? If I'm still here? on earth as well. By faith I see it coming and I pray that day will come soon. I believe you will save my son and that nothing will stand in your way. I look forward to that moment when the day dawns and the morning star rises in his heart. 2 Peter 1.19 Please Lord, could that day be today? Sometimes God brings us into situations that can only be solved through prayer. And, and the beauty of that is that as we come into that place, He alone gets all the glory. Because prayer, if anything, is humble and needy, right? We'll look at that some more uh, in the next talk. But, dear one, I, I, if you have been in the same place for a long time and you're thinking, how long can it be? And, and, and I've, you know, I've been down, you say you were down this road seven years with your son, it's been 27. You know, I, Carrie and I spoke at a, at a seminar in New, in New England and a man came up to me and said, uh, we just lost a son to heroin addiction and we have four other children and they're all addicted. We've, we've been through what you've been through four times over and more. And I, please know, I, I'm not meaning to, to, to seem like someone who has, again, you know, all the answers or easy answers, but this I know. We serve a faithful, loving, amazing God. And as we cry out to Him again and again and again, that's the scriptural model. It really is. How many times did Elijah, do you remember when Elijah was praying for rain after the showdown on you know, First Kings with the prophets of, of Baal? And, and you know, how many times does he send his servant back when he asked for rain? Do you, anybody know? Seven times. That's right. That's right. This is Elijah. <laughs> Got to keep praying. <laughs> well, how about now? <laughs> 
Got to keep praying. Yeah. Right. What else can you say right. except I am so sorry, and then to just pray with him right there? That's what we did. That's what we did. Um, we can go to prayer in a moment, but there may be a couple of any other questions right now. Anything? Jeff, today, Carrie, how old is he? 20, 28? He's 28 in August. Yeah, 28 in August. I, I have ADD, and you know how many kids with ADD it takes to change a light bulb? You want to ride bikes? <laughs> um, any, any, other, uh, any other questions right now? And we can do some some more questions later if you like or any uh, if you want to feel free to push back on anything again you're uh, you're among family here thank God for the EPC I appreciate what you said about his identity and that whole new identity yep it's everything because my family somewhat directly here is the issue of same-sex attraction homosexuality yes and how in our culture Yes. That, you know, that's the identity. I'm, yep. I'm gay. Right. That's who I right. am. And so you love me and, who I am. And that, yes, so I'm right there with you. It is so deceptive. It is anathema. It is one of the great heresies of the church today. And I say that. I have a brother who is gay. Okay? But, but basically what it is saying is there is something at your core. And in this instance, it's your sexuality that defines who you are more than anything else. And the, the church has capitulated to the culture on that. It, it, not, scripture, the well, not the whole church. Right, exactly, exactly. Now, absolutely. And as a matter of fact, there is an excellent book downstairs uh, by Christopher Yuan. It's in the library. It just came out. Uh, I just took a picture of it. Um, the title... Of the book is, um, let me grab my camera real quick. But I just ordered it on, on Amazon today. Now, uh, there's another resource, Christopher Yuan and his wife, and I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing that right, I, Chinese, uh, but uh, wrote a book, Out of the Far Country. And, and that is another excellent book. Um, you, Y-U-A-N, yeah. Um, Right. Well, you know what? This is my ADD. I didn't take a picture. I wrote it down. Okay. But he addresses uh, 
And he, he has an interesting story. I mean, he's HIV uh, positive, but he's a professor, uh, amazing, um, let's see, holy sexuality, holy sexuality and the gospel. And Rosario Butterfield, who also wrote an excellent book, um, and she lives in Durham, where we are, um, did the uh, foreword for that book. But I just saw that and I thought, wow, that looks really good. Uh, but but that, that is so true, because if you think about it, let's, let's draw a parallel. Uh, alcoholism runs in our family. Carrie's dad basically drank himself to death. You go back a couple generations, you know, we've got the same kind of thing on, on my side of the family. Jeff, you come by your addiction honestly. God made you that way. So celebrate it, son. Here's a needle. I mean, you can't even, you can hardly say those words. They sound so evil. Right? I mean, <laughs> the, the beauty of what God does through Jesus. Oh, we, we, have to, we have to catch a fresh vision for that. And God can give that to us. Um, but we've been so beaten down at times by the cultural narrative that people who think differently. But the truth is, what you're really doing when you think differently about identity in Christ is you are loving the most loving thing to say is, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Now that either means something, right? So, Lord, we ask that you would help us and lead us all in this. Uh, there are dear ones that we love who are so caught in, in, in hard places. And though they are beyond our strength, we've done everything we can, we affirm that your arm is not too short to save. We affirm that you are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us. And to you alone may there be glory in the church through all generations. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are still praying for a prodigal. Our, our daughter is still a prodigal. Um, but what God has done through our son has given us so much hope. And so again, you know, as we talk about this, uh, please know that's the, the place we're coming from. We want to be just real and, and upfront. And it's so important that we are this way in the church with each other. Parents of prodigals, families of prodigals often feel can I, you know, can I share this? Can I talk about this? Because it seems like there's, there's always those people who have those perfect kids, you know? And, um, and they always take the credit for it. 
Right? Right? You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, that's the amazing thing. I think of what happened um, with, with an elder uh, who was a really humble guy. We had a Presbyterian meeting. And um, I was on the church planning committee at the time, the church development committee, and they knew what we were going through. And I'd, I'd share that and ask for prayer. And I encourage you to do that, you know, to find some people that you can trust who, who won't judge you. And often they're people who have walked the same road sometimes decades before. Um, but, you know, to, to go to them and, and to to find others, and we also, um, uh, as, as we start, I want to mention a, a couple of, of resources here. Um, the um, first is my website, jamesbanks.org, and there are all kinds of, of resources there, uh, free resources to, to help you with prayer, and uh, there's a prodigal prayer wall. And the needs on this prayer wall are prayed for by a prayer team. Uh, I, I get them, I pray for them, then I send them to the prayer team, and then they go out also to our prayer meeting. So, so we cover them. And they can be entirely anonymous. You can just use your, you know, your first name. Um, the amazing thing, what God has done for prayers for prodigal, with prayers for prodigals, funny thing, I prayed for the longest time for it to be translated into Spanish because of our familia, you know, and it wasn't translated into Spanish. The first language it went into was Dutch. <laughs> and I thought, Amsterdam, yeah, you know. So now here we are in California, or California, Colorado. Yeah, I'm a Californian. I <laughs> uh, was born and raised in the San Diego area. But so, you know, it's like, okay, okay, send it to, send it to Amsterdam, you know. And uh, then it went into um, Portuguese. Then uh, uh, a woman who was a translator um, for, I'm not sure if it was... Um, well, a, a, a pastor of a large church out in California, a uh, Japanese woman said, I've just about translated your entire book into Japanese. <laughs> and she said, what, what can we do with it? And I said, well, that's not, you know, we, ha we have to go to the publisher. And the publisher said, well, normally we have to get the approach from the country itself that already has the established publishing base. So, <laughs> um, she said, well, I, I know a publisher in Japan that I've worked with before, and I'm actually going to Japan uh, within the next month. So she went to Japan, and sure enough, they, had a, they already had an established relationship with our daily bread. <laughs> so Prayers for Prodigals is now in Japanese. Um, and also in, uh, did I mention Portuguese and Spanish? So God continues to do, you know, some, some just amazing things in, in these places where you thought, again, no good can come. So, you know, while we're 
being real, talking about family stuff, I just want to share. Uh, I'm the youngest of five kids uh, with three brothers and, and one sister, kind of a split family where uh, my older brother and sister are like 15 and 17 years older than we are. But uh, there were three of us, so those are, those are the twins, um, uh, fraternal twins. Uh, and, and you see the one that my mom kind of has a grip on? <laughs> when that brother, who's two and a half years older than I am, was 16, he decided to give streaking a try. <laughs> right in front of our house. I, I, I'm not sure why. It was, it was the late spring, it was hot, it was Southern California, it was the 70s, it was groovy, I don't know. But, but one sunny Saturday afternoon when mom was just quietly reading, he called his twin and me to the front door wearing only a towel and he explained his nefarious plan carefully. I'm going to streak out to the curb. And he wasn't concerned about being seen out front. He was more concerned about seeing, being seen by mom. <laughs> and, and mom was reading in the family room. He's like, you guys keep watch for mom and make sure she does not come. I'm coming in the other door on the front. Make sure she doesn't come that way. On the count of three. One. Two. Three, drops the towel inside the door. And while he, he is enjoying his nature walk, his twin and I promptly bolted every door in the house. And the pounding that followed sounded like something out of a biblical parable, you know? And it only made us scream all the louder, Mom, someone's at the door! <laughs> and Mom, Mom did, yeah. Mom did answer the door. <laughs> Uh, my brother was, was never grounded for it. You know, after um, she stopped laughing, I think she kind of felt the, the punishment met the crime. And I, I tell you this because um, the naked truth <laughs> is that every family has their stories. No matter how we may try to dress them up on Facebook or on social media. I mean, that's one of the harmful things about social media, right? A friend of mine said one time, uh, one of these days, I'm going to put it all on Facebook. <laughs> you know, but we, we only get the highlight reels, don't we? But some of our stories are painful to share. And the beautiful thing, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that we can bring our stories to Him. All of them. Completely. Even, you know, the things that words cannot express, the cries and moans from the heart, and He knows. He gets us. And He, as we bring them to Him, you know, one of the reasons why prayer is so vital 
even when you've been praying for years, and especially when you've been praying for years, is that He has ways of meeting us there. And the circumstances themselves may not seem to change, but somehow He changes us and touches us, and where He is somehow, it is enough. Now, as I've talked about the challenges we've had with our kids, uh, I, I want you to know that we have raised them to believe in Jesus. I mentioned with Jeff, we prayed for Jeff before he left the hospital. It was the same way with our daughter. We disciplined them. We did our best to make the right choices. We did our best to love them as well and, you know, not be kind of, you know, that pastor's family where the kids revolve or rebelled because, you know, we were just so hard on them. I mean, we really tried to do the best that we could. They were in good churches. Uh, they were in Sunday school every Sunday. They were raised to believe. And, and one of the hard things about having a prodigal is that Rarely do you see it coming. As I mentioned in the video before, no one holds their child in their arms for the first time and says, this one will grow up to be a prodigal. And so what I'd like to do, also in that video, I made a statement that love has, you know, we often talk about how love has to be tough, but it has to be tough on us as well. And that doesn't mean that we don't have boundaries. That doesn't mean that we aren't wise and safe and we have to be careful in protecting other members of the family, you know, especially if there's an addiction issue where, you know, there, there could be violence or, or any number of, of exposures to, to unhealthy, difficult and dangerous things. But how many times do we see it where, you know, there's that mentality that if I just disown them, you know, it's I'm not going to talk to them. I mean, unless the Lord is leading you, and sometimes He may lead you into that situation, but I think that's the unusual situation. That, by the way, happened to be uh, Jim Cimbala's situation for a while, but even while Jim Cimbala was not talking to Chrissy when she was acting out, if you've read the book Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, it's an incredible story, uh, his wife still maintained the lines of communication with her. And I, it's, it's really important for us to, to keep that in mind. But let's go to, to Matthew 15, 21 through 28, because uh, this is one of the more difficult stories from the Bible. It's the story of Jesus' encounter with a woman who, who came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering from demon possession. And how does he respond? Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre in Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon position, possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. 
He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Now the challenging part comes in this verse. Jesus did not answer a word. Why? Why? Honestly. Why? I mean, you, you and I have, have been there, right? And really, <laughs> he alone knows the answer to that question. We can surmise a few guesses here and there. I, I, I think I know what's going on, but, but think about it for a minute. Didn't Jesus care about the woman and her daughter? Hadn't he come to, to destroy the devil's work? But if you've prayed for a prodigal, you know that silence, don't you? And sometimes we have to wait when we pray. God's timing is rarely our own. And, and that's not easy, especially when you're asking for something good for someone you love and you know that God is good and you know that God loves this dear one even more than you do. But just, just look at what this woman does in response to Jesus' silence. You gotta love it. I mean, she persists when the disciples say, send her away. And Jesus told her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. What does she do? She came and knelt before him. She's not going anywhere. <laughs> and she asked again. And that brings us to the first point. Sometimes um, you've got to persevere in prayer when it seems like nothing is happening, when it seems like everything is uphill. I know we can get so tired and so discouraged, but honestly, who can pray for that child or that grandchild like you can? Who can pray for a son or a daughter like a mother, like a father? You know, Think about this, this woman as she came to Jesus. I mean, <clears throat> she just wouldn't stop. And, and there's something else um, that, that at this point the disciples are thinking, uh, you know, what's she doing here, Right? She's still hanging out. And the point is that when you and I wait for Jesus, don't just wait for Him. Wait with Him. There's a difference. There's a difference. You know, so often we tend to make prayer about 
requests and answers. We tend to make it this linear thing. And, and what prayer is really ultimately about, and we'll talk about this more in, in the next session, praying the prayers of the Bible, but what it's about is relationship. You know, when you're waiting for Jesus, you're just waiting for an answer. You're looking for that thing to happen. But when you're waiting with Jesus, you're, you're waiting in the place where, where the Spirit can move and strengthen you in the deeper core of your being as a new creation in Christ. So prayer really is about keeping company with Him. And, and He will help us in ways we can't even see. It will be unique for you personally. As, as you just get with Him. You know, it's amazing how that happens. God, uh, when Jeff was in such a dark place, God gave Carrie this gift of faith about him. She believed when Jeff was abusing heroin that God was going to use him in ministry someday. And she'd tell me that. And, you know, I'd kind of do what husbands do sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I couldn't see it. I, I it just, you know, I, I didn't go that road. I couldn't get there from, from here. But God, as she got with him about, God gave her this unique gift of faith that someday God was going to use Jeffrey in ministry. And it's breathtaking. You know, to, to see that he's actually in that place today. Again, in the same city where he once sold and abused heroin. The, the point to make is that God himself is the best answer to prayer. When the answers that we're looking for haven't come yet, he is always more. Always more. So, there she is kneeling before Jesus, and, and he responds, it, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Why does he say that? I think what's happening here is, is on two different levels. First, he's, he's drawing her out for a reason. I, I, I think he's giving her a little resistance so that she pushes harder. And sometimes that's what happens. You know, one of the, the blessings of having a prodigal is that it, 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 it forces you out of that sense of, of self-reliance, right? I mean, you know, think of what, what's the American anthem? You know, I did it my way. I mean, it's like, really? You know, that's who we are? And, 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 and yet... You know, what are we to be? How dependent we are to be on God? So I, I think that's part of it. You know, having a prodigal could actually be this, this strange kind of blessing because it brings us to our knees and that's actually a good place for us to be. But there's something else going on. And, and that's the interesting thing is that God is always working. We can never fully know what he's up to because he's always working on so many different levels at once. 
And, and, and in this instance, I think that Jesus is addressing some of the prejudices that the disciples have toward this Gentile Canaanite woman. I mean, and, and he's about to show them that even Gentile dogs can have amazing faith. I mean, that's what the culture called them at the time, right? So I think he's calling the disciples out on, on some of their prejudices. Send her away! Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And all of this is not unrelated to how the parent of a prodigal feels. You know, we can feel condemned by, by others. Just a look, right? We can feel condemned by our own thoughts. We, we question ourselves. We wonder, where did I go wrong? If only I had done this differently. You know, then you have those, those bumper sticker conversations with other parents in the supermarket parking lot. Well, my child is an honor student and he just... <laughs> and, and, and you don't know what to say. Um, and, and of course, people who don't understand are so willing to tell you how to raise your child. And, and sometimes Carrie and I would look back on our life and we'd think, oh, if, if only, you know, we had kept him away from that friend. <laughs> you know, if only we had seen this. And all of that's natural to some degree. We, we can't let it stop us. What, what is, is. Yes, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You gotta love that kind of de determination. And do you see what else it's doing? Do you see what she's doing in this? What is she calling Jesus? Master. Right. And, and what else is she saying? I'm nothing. <laughs> I'm nothing, but what you have on your table is so great. It's so amazing. I just want to be right here. And if a crumb falls, but this is who you are. Do you see that, that praise that, that lifts her? Even for just a moment, she catches a glimpse of the goodness of God. And, and notice, she doesn't take no for an answer. It's interesting. Uh, not once, not twice, three times, if you count the silence. Why? Because she loved her daughter, right? And, and she knew, she knew that Jesus was good and that He was powerful and she believed in Him. And, and that brings us to the second point. We need to fight to praise God for who He is regardless of our circumstances. Um, think about what this woman did. She believed that nothing was too hard for Jesus. And, and this is important because praising Him takes our eyes off of ourselves even for a moment and, and lifts us above our circumstances. And as we are doing that, He meets us and often touches us with fresh faith, a fresh touch of His Spirit. And, and you find strength to go on that, that you never had before.
I love what Ruth Bell Graham wrote about this. She, she tells of, of waking up in the middle of the night, being worried about one of her children, and, and she lay there. Um, and by the way, Ruth Bell Graham was in the EPC when she died. I want to mention that because I was on the commission that, <laughs> and we have two folks from that church, as a matter of fact. Um, so, so this is our people again. <laughs> But she tells about laying there with her fears and, and she prayed um, for the one that the way she described it was, uh, was trying hard to run from God. And then she writes, suddenly the Lord said to me, quit studying the problems and start studying the promises. And that's a great thing to do as, as a parent of a prodigal. And you know when you're reading when a promise is especially for you. He has a way of, of, of showing us that. She goes on, so I turned on the light, got out my Bible, and the first verse that came to me was uh, from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. She, she goes on, suddenly I realized the missing ingredients in my prayer had been with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. So I put down my Bible and I spent some time worshiping Him for who He is. And by the way, this is a quote out of her book uh, for prodigals and those who love Him. Love them. Great book. She said, even contemplating what little we know about who God is dissolves doubt, reinforces faith, restores joy. And she adds, I began to thank God for giving me this one I love so dearly in the first place. I even thanked him for the difficult spots that taught me so much. And you know what happened? It was as if someone turned on the lights in my mind and heart and the little worries and fears that had been nibbling away in the darkness like mice and cockroaches hurriedly scuttled for cover. And that was when I learned that worship and worry cannot live in the same heart. They are mutually exclusive. Isn't that beautiful? So now back to the Canaanite woman. Back to the best part, the answer. If you take one thing away from this passage, let it be this. Jesus loved the fact that the Canaanite woman hung in there with her prayers. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. But it took some time to get there, didn't it? But she persisted because she loved her daughter. She knew she was asking for something good. You have great faith. You know how many times Jesus said that about someone? Twice. This is one of them. And, and, and this brings us to the third point. God's timing is rarely our own. Sometimes the answers don't come when we'd hope. Things may seem to go from bad to worse. Uh, 
As a matter of fact, in Jeff's situation, it got so dark. It was so dark right before the whole tide of the battle turned. I mean, literally, when he mentioned in the video, he said, I'm not going to Jesus camp. I mean, <laughs> you know what happened on that day? We had just gone. I mean, we had been working so hard to get him to this place. He had detoxed. We got him to Christian Recovery House. We had the initial um, discussion. We knew in our souls this is where God wanted us to be. We prayed with Elizabeth, you know, the person running the place. She, she initiated that with us. That was like, oh. Man, you know, God is in this. And then as we're driving away, Jeff is like, I'm not going. I'm not going. And things got so heated in the car on the way back, I had to pull over. I couldn't drive. I was too upset. And, you know, ultimatums start flying around. And, and interestingly, finally, it was our daughter's, our prodigal daughter's boyfriend, whom he respected because he had been on a couple of tours of Iraq, um, tours of duty. Jeff respected him, and, and, and he was the one who talked him into it. Sometimes it gets dark. You know, sometimes God says, wait, and, and, and we may confuse it with no and, and get it all wrong. So as we pray, we need to be careful not to confuse those two. Augustine writes about this in his confessions. His, his mother prayed and prayed that he wouldn't go to Rome because it was the center of vice and corruption in their day. And it's interesting. I mean, uh, basically, he tells her, Mom, the, the ship, she follows him down to the dock and she's praying for him. He writes about this in his confessions. And basically, what happens is he says, Mom, the ship doesn't sail until tomorrow. He lied to her. He tricked her. He said, go over there and, and, and rest. And she did. And the next morning, the ship was gone. But it was in Rome where Augustine gave his heart to Jesus, where, where he was transformed. The very thing that she had praying had been praying for, would that you know, praying it would not happen. That was the very thing that happened. And God used it. To, to draw her son to him and, and to change history. He, he later wrote about it. And basically, he said that God set aside what she was asking for in the moment so that he could give her what she really wanted, a saved son. Remember Revelation 5.8, what, what it says about our prayers is that God values them so much that He keeps them before Him in golden bowls. And, and what this means is that our prayers are precious to Him. He keeps them before Him forever. They can even outlive us. I love what E.M. Bounds wrote about this. Prayers are deathless. The lips that utter them may close in death. The heart that felt them may cease to beat. But the prayers live before God. God's heart is set on them. And prayers outlive the lives of those who uttered them. Fortunate are they whose fathers and mothers left them a wealthy inheritance of prayer. One story about that to close. Um, 
William didn't have much time for his mother's faith. Uh, she spoke to him frequently about it. She prayed for him. He kept going his own way. One of the last things that she did before she died was she gave him a Bible. But he sold it he, when he was in medical school. He needed some extra money. Uh, and William was what you might call a successful prodigal. Don't be fooled. Please don't be fooled. They may be doing well in school, but what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? And that's where William was. A lost soul. He was a successful prodigal. Uh, he, he graduated from medical school, was working in a hospital, and, and one day years later, a worker was brought in who had a serious accident on the job, and William did what he could for him, but it was clear the man wasn't going to survive. So he asked for two things. This man asked for his landlady so that he could pay what he owned her in rent, and what he called the book. And she brought in his Bible, and he read it as long as he could, and when he could read it no longer, he held it close to him, kept it under his covers until he died, and a nurse was, was cleaning up the room afterwards. And this is a true story. She, she's going through his things after his death, and she finds the Bible, and she holds it up just as William is walking by. And she says, what shall we do with this? And she takes it, and she hands it to him. And he opens it up. William's own words tell what happened next. I took the Bible. Could I trust my eyes? It was my own Bible. The Bible which my mother had given me when I left my parents' home, which later when short of money I sold for a small amount, my name was in it, written in my mother's hand. William concludes, Be it sufficient to say that the regained possession of my Bible was the cause of my conversion. William's mother never saw her prayers for her son answered on earth. She saw them answered in heaven, years after she was gone from here. And, and William left medicine and became, of all things, a Presbyterian <laughs> pastor. And he would later write these words, Oh, don't let the Baptists claim them. We praise thee, O God, for thy spirit of light, who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Do you know that's a Presbyterian hymn? <laughs> Lord, may it be so. You know, you got to believe that when William wrote those words, man, his mother had to be smiling. Keep praying. Keep loving. Keep persevering. Keep going to the feet of Jesus. He is faithful. He loves you. He loves your prodigal even more than you do. And that is a beautiful thing. And what I'd like to do is, as we wrap up, we've got uh, about 10 minutes. I'd like us to spend um, a, a moment in um, just worship-based prayer. 
I'd like us to break up in groups of five or six, just wherever you're, you're seated. Um, I, that's probably the best way for us to do this. But we would be remiss if after talking so much about praying for prodigals, if we did not do that. So um, what we're going to do, uh, you can just pray from right where you are, but we're going to start by praising God. So let's sing. Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, soul's glory, joy, and crown. Fair is the sunshine, fairer still the moonlight, and all the twinkling starry shines brighter, Jesus shines purer than all the angels have can boast. Beautiful Savior, Lord of the Son of God and Son of Man, glory and honor, praise, adoration, now and I'll tell you what, instead of bringing up into small groups, we're going to go ahead and just pray as one group together. But let, let's start by finishing this sentence. Lord Jesus, I love you because. I love you because. Just feel free to, to pray. We're going to have the ABCs of prayer, so I'll mention that in the next one too. But uh, pray aloud so people can hear you. Pray briefly. A prayer to be eternal or to be immortal need not be eternal. And, and pray in concord. Pray as a community. ABCs of prayer. But, um, Lord, you are beautiful to me because, let's 